Hey everyone, welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. They say age is just a number. That's exactly it. Age is nothing more than digits, and it certainly shouldn't be seen as a barrier or a dirty word. We can age successfully, but it requires changes to how we train and perhaps to the types of races we target. Of course, there are some physiological changes, and you might call those declines that come with age. Yet there are also some things that improve as athletes get older. Sometimes they are truly physiological and psychological adaptations, and at other times they are a matter of perspective, of mentality, or choice. We begin this episode with a deep dive by Trevor into some recent research on the effects of age and performance. Then we jump into a great conversation with the timeless Rebecca Rush, seven-time world champion, mountain bike hall of famer, an ever-evolving age-defying cyclist and adventurer. As we speak, the 52-year-old Rush is taking on her third Iditarod Trail Invitational mountain bike race in Alaska. In our conversation, we touch upon everything from the training changes she's made to nutrition tips. From off-the-bike work to the work it takes inside the mind to stay motivated, energized, and ready to push. We also hear today from Dr. Andy Pruitt, the world-renowned sports medicine consultant, and Colby Pierce, coach, athlete, bike fitter, and host of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. All that and much more today on Fast Talk. Let's make you fast. Hey, I'm Dr. Steven Seiler of the University of Ogden in Norway. And I'm a longtime contributor to and a fan of Fast Talk and now Fast Talk Labs. So I'm really happy to be involved. And I, and I think Fast Talk Labs with Chris and Trevor and their team exemplify uh, some aspects of the coaching and the, the process that I value. One is, is science and, and being evidence-based, but another is, is communication communication between coach and athlete, communication between coach and other coaches, and then finally trust, building trust in that communication, in that forum where everyone wants to learn and work together to be better. And I really believe that's what you'll find with Fast Talk Labs. So I'm proud to be part of it, and I hope you will enjoy it. That was Dr. Seiler from Fast Talk episode 139 when we introduced Fast Talk Laboratories and our new virtual performance center. If you enjoy Dr. Seiler's appearances on our show, we have really good news for you. We just unlocked all 40 of Dr. Seiler's webinars, lectures, and interviews on our website, FastTalkLabs.com. They are now free for members. Join at FastTalkLabs.com and you can get Dr. Seiler's pioneering work in one convenient place. Sign up for a free listener membership today at FastTalkLabs.com. Well, welcome back to Fast Talk, Rebecca Rush. It's a pleasure to have you on again. We haven't had you since Do You Need a Coach with Neil Henderson and Rebecca Rush. That was episode 61 way back in 2018. It's been that long. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. Well, welcome back. The answer is still yes. The answer is still <laughs> yes. And I bet we'll touch upon that a little bit in this episode today when we talk about you know, how to effectively modify your training, racing as you age. What can you do? What 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 does change? What maybe even improves with age? We'll get into all of that today. Awesome. I can't wait. It's great to have you back on the show. Let's really get into that topic of age here. There are things that decline with age, and we should probably 
start there. So Trevor, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of the things that decline with age? So it's been a few years. I actually, to get ready for this one, went back and said, is there any new research that's come out? And I can tell you often when I'm researching for an episode, I'll spend two hours doing searches and might come up with three decent studies. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, The nice thing about the research on aging in athletes is I did one search and downloaded 20 articles and said, okay, I got to stop because I can't read that many. There is a ton of research coming out about it. And it's there's some really interesting new stuff since we did that episode. So maybe I'll just give the the five minute of of a couple of the interesting things that I saw. Uh, If you remember, we talked about in that episode that the effects of aging is not what we we believed it was. This fall off a cliff when you right. hit a certain age type effect. So they really felt you decline a lot with age. But all the research that was backing that, if you remember from that episode, was cross-sectional, meaning they were comparing current 70-year-olds to current 20-year-olds. And the current 20-year-olds have all the benefits of years and years and years of science and, and experience in, in training and keeping athletes healthy. So it's not really a fair comparison. And when they started coming up with more creative studies, because obviously you can't go, ooh, what happens to somebody over 60 years? Let's do a 60-year study. They right. found other creative ways to figure this out and said, you know what? A lot of what we thought was aging was more either poor training or sedentary behavior. And that's coming out more, but there were some interesting areas that they that some of the really recent research, so I've, I've downloaded and I have in front of me three studies that were all put out in the last few months wow. that I, really caught my attention. So one is titled, High Levels of Physical Activity in Later Life are Associated with Enhanced Markers of Mitochondrial Metabolism. So they, they basically looked at protein expression of the key proteins that that uh, help with uh, mitochondrial development um, and and maintenance. So, and of course, PGC one alpha was mm, one of them. Of course, and they compared very high level cyclists in their seventies to recreationally active elderly of about the same age, and then recreationally active younger people, so in their twenties and thirties, and actually found that the highly trained older athletes had much higher protein expression than either of the other two groups. And they showed that they were much better able to maintain mitochondrial function. So there's something even you're getting into your 70s, you're seeing no, doesn't decline quite the the way that we thought it declines. But the thing that I found really interesting, and this is almost a, we should do an episode on this sometime. So I'm just going to really touch on it right now. Influence of sex on the age-related adaptations of neuromuscular function and motor unit properties in elite master athletes. (laughs) Yes. Don't want to dive too deep, but the very short explanation here is, uh, so in our, when you think of your quad, within your quad, you have a whole bunch of fibers. Mm -hmm. Those fibers are grouped together into motor units. So you'll have one main nerve that will come down and then split apart, and it will innervate several fibers. So it's not a you have one nerve for each fiber. Uh, you'll you'll have multiple uh, uh, muscle fibers per nerve. So that's called a motor unit. And what you see actually over time is 
there's a lot of remodeling because you'll see damage occur. Uh, a muscle fiber will lose its innervation, uh, which in the, the next study I'll talk about can actually cause a lot of uh, uh, oxidative stress. And so what happens is other motor units will go, oh, well, that fiber needs to be innervated, and they'll kind of reach out with a, a new spindle, uh, connect to that, uh, that fiber and make sure it's re-innervated. So one of the theories here is that's why as we age, we start going more and more towards slow twitch mu being dominant in slow twitch muscle fibers because it seems the motor units that are primarily for slow twitch muscle fibers will reach out to fast twitch muscle fibers that have been denervated, re-innervate them, and then they'll convert to, hmm. to slow twitch. Interesting. The issue is, as that happens, if it, if it doesn't happen well, you see in older people fewer units but a lot more fibers per unit. That affects your ability to effectively recruit muscle fibers. It's going to affect your strength. Uh, so it's actually not something that you want. And what you see is in younger people, this, this denervation happens in younger people, but they seem to uh, re-innervate very well. You don't see it as effectively in elderly. But this one study said... No, when you look at elite masters athletes, they tend to re-innervate very well. You still see some age effect. You still see some increase in motor unit size, but it's not like you see in sedentary. It's pretty equal in men and women, but they did say influence of sex. So one thing that they saw is in female athletes, you tend to see a slowing down. So basically, my interpretation of it is they become really slow-twitch uh, slow muscle mm. fiber dominant. Um, and you don't see the same effect in, in, in men. The last one to point out, and, and I'm kind of getting to this, which is really cool, is this, and this just came out, and it's even listed as a hypothesis. It's on the mechanisms underlying attenuated redox responses to exercise in older individuals. A hypothesis. <laughs> These titles roll off your tongue, let me tell you. <laughs> so they go into this whole denervation and re-innervation. They basically say you have this issue that when a fiber loses its, its nerve connection, um, you start to see a whole lot of, of oxidative stress. And they said if it's not handled well, if you don't re-innervate very well, what actually happens is your, your muscles adapt to try to prevent damage and really re actually ramp up the, your antioxidant systems. So what you'll start seeing in the cytosol of, of muscle cells is a actually struggle to produce any sort of oxidative stress. And again, I'm really trying to simplify this. This is why you're hearing me struggling a little bit with the words. This is mm -hmm. a very long uh, hypothesis. But basically, they struggle to produce oxidative stress. And we've talked about this, that oxidative stress is one of the major promoters of muscle adaptation, of promoting uh, increase in muscle strength and increase in fiber size. So if you lose that ability to produce oxidative stress, you can't really adapt the muscles anymore. And that they're starting to say, or at least their hypothesis is that that's what's causing sarcopenia. That's what's causing older people to lose muscle strength. Hmm. So their explanation is, is this desensitization. It's almost like insulin, where if you have too much insulin flowing in your, in your system all the time, you eventually become desensitized to insulin, and that leads to type 2 diabetes. 
So they're proposing a similar theory in untrained individuals or sedentary individuals where you see this loss of ability to adapt or to use oxidative stress as an adaptive signal. Hmm. And again, in, in highly trained athletes, you don't see that as much. So they're basically they're saying lifelong endurance sports uh, or lifelong training, you're going to have better muscle unit retention and better ability to respond to oxidative stress to produce an adaptive signal. And that continues into, into your 70s. Phew. Well, let's let's talk to one of those <laughs> highly, highly skilled athletes now, and say and, and turn this question over to you, Rebecca. You're not you're not even close to seventy. You're fifty two. Does any of this relate to you? Do you feel any of these dec- declines? Yeah, and Trevor, I was really trying to like listen to the science and listen to everything you're saying, and, and there are a ton of studies on this stuff. Um, I guess I'm a experiment of one myself. Sure. But obviously, um, there is a ton of support for basically use it or lose it, you know, and, and people will ask me all the time, like, when are you going to retire? When are you going to stop doing this long distance stuff? And, and really, um, it's, it's never, I'll do this as long as I can, not just because I'm motivated by competition or setting personal goals, but because I want to be a healthy, happy human. And I know that the science and my sort of anecdotal experience, I feel better when I move. And so, yeah, this is hitting home a lot. Um, you know, and I'll say to anyone who's tuning in right now, you know, you hear the word aging, aging athlete, you know, master's athlete, um, and I really like to flip that conversation because here's the thing. None of us can escape age, even if you're listening to this and you're 25 or 35 or 45 or whatever, or 75. Um, it's, it's a fate that none of us will escape. Hopefully we all grow very, very old um, gracefully and keep moving. And so I really like to use the word evolution um, because we're all changing all the time. We're getting older, we're getting either less flexible, more flexible, stronger, weaker. We're always evolving and, and we have a choice on, on how we handle that evolution and the one body we've been given. And um, as Chris mentioned, yes, I'm 52. I'm still a very active athlete. Um, and I like to also call that version 5.2. And it kind of goes <laughs> along with the evolution of, uh, and what I have found, you know, I've been an athlete since high school. And, you know, if you told me, you know, someone at 52 seems ancient at at that time, but I don't feel that way. I'm like, wow, I I still feel really good. I'm still doing a lot of cool stuff. I'm still actually hitting um, markers in my training and in power, you know, and FTP and and some of those sort of scores, body, you know, measurements. Um, Those are all still right on par with some of my top performances. And so I do agree with some of the science that, that, that Trevor's stating is that, yes, there are things that decline with age. I need to take a little more time to recover. I need to stretch better. It's kind of, I have to pay attention to what I call the spaces in between the time off the bike or off the skis. Um, whereas in my twenties or thirties or even forties, you know, I could kind of blow off stretching or blow off hydration and I knew I should do it, but I just didn't do it. Um, but I find that if I really pay attention to the spaces in between and all that extra stuff like nutrition, hydration, um, that there really isn't the massive drop off the edge of the cliff. Like you said, Chris, I mean, I've obviously noticed changes, but I also find that I can combat a lot of those with, um, lifestyle changes and just more attention to some of the detail. 
We asked show regular Dr. Andy Pruitt his thoughts on aging. He does feel that aging is something that we can all do very well and stay active throughout our lives, but he feels that the starting place is to recognize that you're getting older and you need to make some changes. Well, you know, as an aging endurance athlete myself, I, I look in the mirror, I can answer this question, or I can look over 40 years of patient notes to answer this question. And I think it's really about not recognizing the fact that you're aging and attempting to carry on as you have. And I think the really good example of this is uh, Ned Overin's a good friend of mine, and we you know, have ridden together over the years, and, and he's still winning national championships in his 60s. And I said, Ned, what, you know, what's the deal? He said, I do the exact same program I have done my whole life. I was a little startled, and I said, really? He goes, yeah, the four-week uh, block now takes me eight weeks, right? So he does the exact same intervals. He does all the work he used to do, obviously less of it, but more recovery time uh, to get that block in. And it was a really a stark realization that um, I think that is the common mistake that I've made and all my patients have made is trying to be something we're not anymore. You ultimately have to mourn the loss of who you were, accept who you are as an athlete, um, and, and make sure you do a good job of all those normal things, the hydration, the, the rest, all those things. But really is... Yes, you can still do those overs and unders like you used to do, but you just got to rest more afterwards. Let's flip it around. What, would you say that there have been some improvements with age in certain areas? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I will say, I, you know, we talked, to, I think it's mentioned maybe in one of the studies, but there's definitely muscle mass loss. And, you know, um, I have noticed, a, a, you know, I have to stretch more. Like I said, I'm less flexible, but the positive changes that have happened is, um, you know, and I think there's a famous quote, I think it's George Bernard Shaw, um, says youth is wasted on the young and the, the maturity and the level of experience that I have, um, and just having been in these challenging situations before there's a level of adaptability adaptability that I have as an athlete and confidence that I have as an athlete of like, yeah, you know, I've ridden the lead one level 104 times. Like I, I know what that's like. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's hard, but I know I can do it. And each time you do something hard like that, you build that level of confidence or each time you fail, you learn something else. And so, you know, I didn't have that when I was 25. Um, and I, people, kind of ask all the time, like, how, how are you, you know, beating people in their twenties or how are you, you know, achieving these things? And, and experience goes a really long way. And I think if you look at any really good mountaineer, um, Diana Nyad is, is a great example. She's an ultra endurance swimmer and had her, her best results of her life at age 60. Um, so I think if you look at some of those uh, really intense endurance sports, you see that Ed Veasters is another one, yeah, Mountaineers especially, um, because there's a level of experience and maturity that that actually really does improve with age. So this is something that I have been trying to uh, figure out how to best say to the athletes I coach, because I agree with you. You don't at, at our age, and I'm just two years behind you, we're basically the same age. 
you don't at our age get away with neglecting stretching or neglecting your off the bike work for very long before you know it. And we always talk about, well, you could do that in your 20s. But what I try to explain to athletes in their 20s, I'm interested in how, how you feel about this, is you're still going to pay for it. You're just going to pay for it later. So if you neglect all that work when you're 20, by the time you're 25, 26, you're probably going to start seeing the negative effects of that. Almost a nice thing for us is we pay the price right away. So we get the yeah. reminder very quickly of, oops, I haven't been stretching lately. I haven't been doing my back work. I haven't been doing my strength work. You know, I really like that concept because, yeah, it, it's like, you know, we were all told in our 20s, you should start investing now. You know, you should put away $50 a month or whatever. <laughs> and by the time that you're 55 or 70, you're going to have a million dollars. And none of us did it. I mean, some of us did it. I didn't do it. I was like, you know, what? no, I, you know, I'm going to go rock climbing and spend that <laughs> money doing that. Um, and yeah, we, we are told that when you're, you're young, but you're right. You, you're putting money in the bank. Um, if you, as, as a younger athlete, if you start really paying attention to those things, and I think we're seeing that transition now, people are really getting into mobility and wellness and mindfulness. Um, and it's kind of a really cool evolution that you're seeing with athletes of all ages. And what that just means is, is those younger athletes that are starting all that stuff now, they're going to be doing things that nobody ever dreamed of when, you know, in 10 years or 20 years or, or whatever. So you're exactly right. They're putting money in the bank if they're doing it now. And hopefully they're investing too. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say investing that investing in yourself, I guess that's the way of putting it. Yeah. Yep. You're investing in yourself. I, I was just going to say, I think, the, yeah, the to your point, Rebecca, they, you couldn't probably quantify it, but in the short term, they're going to be better athletes for all of the things that they do, but then their careers might just extend out, be much longer, be like yours. Maybe you're in a bit of an anomaly, Rebecca, right? Um, we've had Ned Overin on the show before. He's a bit of an anomaly, um, but maybe there will just be plenty of athletes racing as at the highest of levels into their 50s, um, just like you are. I hope so. I mean, I hope that's what Ned and I, you know, I hope that's some of the legacy that we leave is that it's, it's entirely possible to be a lifelong athlete if you take care of yourself and you start early and, and you diversify, you know, I think something that's really important is, is yes, I'm primarily a cyclist right now, but I just got done cross country skiing. I run with my dogs, you know, I do weights. Um, I, I do a lot of different things. And that is probably what I would say is, is part of my not so secret sauce is that I have diversified and you do see, um, athletes that are single sport athletes running or cycling that, that they do tend to get overuse injuries. And there's quite a few runners who found cycling because, you know, they got injured running and, and then got put on a bike for their recovery. And so that would be kind of one of my main takeaways for everyone here is that, mix it up a little bit. And if you're on the bike all the time, do something where you're standing up straight and something that's weight bearing, um, because that, that will actually pay dividends as well. And you touched on something earlier that I think is really important. That's also uh, to me, one of the big messages of the, the, the giant science science bomb bomb. I just gave it whatever you want to call it. <laughs> bombs, um, bombs aren't nice, but that was pretty much a science bomb. But but you said it's so the expression is use it or lose it. But the the important message here is, 
if you want to be a lifelong athlete, you really always have to stay at it. You can change what you're doing to keep it interesting, but there are, you know, the research is very encouraging in saying if you are constantly training, you're actually the, the, the age related decline is not going to be nearly as much as we used to believe. But if you become sedentary for an extended period of time, you are going to see some negative effects. And some of them, such as that increased size in the motor units, is not something you can reverse. Yeah. And I totally agree with you, Trevor. When I first uh, connected with my current coach, Tim Cusick, that was the first thing he said to me is like, you just have to be consistent. You have so much experience in the bank. It almost doesn't matter what we do. I mean, of course we have a training schedule and it's, it's, you know, scientifically planned and he's a super smart guy, but really he's like, the bottom line is, is you just have, you have to be consistent. You have to just get out the door or be on your bike um, and do something, even if it's not exactly what I've planned for you. And I think that that's really important for people to, you know, accept or forgive themselves or know that like, Hey, I don't have to do, you know, intervals seven days a week, or I don't have to do, you know, 20 hours a week of training. Um, but you do have to be consistent and not miss too many days in a row. Perhaps this is a silly question, but, um, Trevor, maybe you have some insights. Maybe Tim has mentioned this to you, Rebecca. What's that period of time that's too long for somebody at an age where they would see declines if they took say six months off? Is it six months? Is it, would they have to take an entire year off? Do you know what I'm saying? I think it's far less. Trevor probably knows the science. Um, I know for me personally, if I take, you know, more than a few days off, I kind of get out of that rhythm and I kind of start to, my body starts speaking to me. Um, my mood changes a little bit, um, which is a little hard when I do big expeditions, you know, I come back home and, you know, something like I did a trail invitational that's seven days long. I come home and, and really, I just want to lay around and, you know, eat cheese and salami and drink coffee. <laughs> yep. And, um, and that's what I want to do, but I find the faster I actually get moving, even if it's a dog walk, even if it's just simple blood flow, um, you know, the faster I get moving, the better. And so for me more than a week, um, and I start not feeling very good and, and I will say you lose your fitness a lot faster than, than you gain it. And I'm sure Trevor has some stats on that, but really for me, it's, you know, something almost every day, even if it's just a dog walk, like I said, people get caught up on, oh, I have to do all this really intense training, but really you, you need to move. Um, and I count those dog walks, you know, if Tim's like, you know, recovery day, you know, I'll go walk my dogs for an hour and a half or two hours. And, and that is having a great benefit on me physically, emotionally, and my dogs are happy too. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're spot on. And to tell you the truth, I didn't see a study on this. Uh, I think some of that's because really in the last four years, they realized, well, we got a lot of the, the research on aging wrong. So first we need to see what, what is truly aging effect versus just being mm -hmm. sedentary. And then they'll probably get to the, so what happens if you take a certain length of time off? But I would agree with you that I think it's, it's pretty short. I mean, when you're, some of these studies were looking at protein expression, that changes within 24 hours. You look at detraining effects, and true detraining is four-ish weeks, four to six weeks. Um, and my guess is when people are older, to retrain to get back to it is harder. And you might see more negative consequences that time off. So I agree with you completely that 
no, you don't have to be doing intervals all the time. But even when you're taking a rest or taking a little time off, doing something active is going to help you a lot. Mm. My former coach, Dean Golick, used to say, um, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And I really like that because a lot of times I'm invited to go do an expedition or go do something that it's like, oh, that's in a few weeks. Um, and so what I think is if people just kind of maintain this baseline, you know, slow burn, um, general level of fitness, that's, that's really great because you're not starting from zero again. You haven't taken six months totally completely off and then you try to get back on. And it's also a life, it's a lifestyle thing. If, if you don't, aren't prioritizing movement in your life or training, um, it's really hard to implement that back in and, you know, I'm using air quotes, but find the time if you haven't made the time and made that choice um, for that kind of self-care. Should we dive a little bit more into the specifics of some of these items and how you've changed your your tra- your training to adjust to um, the the things you've seen over the course of your career? Yeah, sure. I mean, I will. We talked about it in a previous podcast, but um, for me, having a coach or accountability or some sort of a training program um, really helps me with accountability of just showing up. And, you know, I have collaborated with my coach on offering, you know, base camp programs and programs for private Idaho that are, that are group training programs that really just help people kind of gather together and show up and do the work because it's, it's often, you know, intrinsic motivation doesn't happen every day of every week of every year. Um, and we all need a little bit of extrinsic motivation. And so, um, how I've, I guess how I've changed my training over the years is, is I'm pretty religious about needing a coach or a training program um, because I've found left to my own, left to my own uh, sort of choices. I don't always make the best choices, but um, like Trevor said, as my body is speaking to me, um, it's a lot easier to listen because it does speak a little more quickly. And, and Amber Neben is, is a friend of mine. She's a obviously a, a pro road cyclist, um, amazing athlete. And she, she mentioned at one time that through this base program, base camp program, she said, you know, your body will first whisper to you and then it'll talk to you and then it will yell at you. And, um, and it's a really good point to learn to listen to those subtle cues. And so with my training, really a lot of the changes that have been made are listening to my body whisper sooner. And so I've added in a lot more stretching and yoga. I've added in mobility training with a friend of mine from the ready state, Kelly Starrett, um, you know, 10 minutes a day of like rolling my feet or ankles. Um, and you know, when I say stretching or yoga, you know, we all get on the floor and maybe stretch your hamstrings, but I've gotten a little more, more sort of fine tuned on if my body is speaking to me, Oh, my feet are kind of tired. I did a run yesterday. My feet feel sort of sore or, Oh, I went back country skiing and my calves are sore. And, you know, Kelly's suggestion is find one place on your body a day that is speaking to you and put your attention there. Because often we're like, I need to stretch everything, you know, it, like it all needs it. But, but really, if you just kind of choose one thing a day, for me, that's been a little bit more palatable. Um, you know, if you don't have a chronic injury, then you're just, you're just listening to a few things that are, that are talking to you, whether it's hips or knees or shoulders or, or whatever. 
And I have taken a lot more time over the years to make sure that I am cross training a lot. I mean, I got really heavy into cycling for a while and running took a back seat. Um, cross country skiing took a back seat, but I really, you know, at least two or three days a week, I'm out doing something other than cycling. And then what else have I done? I've really started focusing more on nutrition, you know, in my adventure racing years, it was, I call it the, um, Swedish fish and Cheetos years. Wait, you're out of the Swedish fish years. <laughs> he, Trevor's That'll never end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with Swedish fish or sugar, any of that for sure. And I, I used to have this theory that like, look, I'm doing so much work that I can put anything I want into my body. Um, and I deserve it because I'm working so hard. And, and obviously we all know that, that, you know, you put garbage in and you're going to get sort of garbage out as far as the energy expenditure. And so I have started focusing a lot more on, on the macro and micronutrients and even make some of my own food for some of my expeditions so that I can really control, um, what's in there. I think that's very wise. And, uh, as much as I joke about the whole Swedish fish thing, I admit, you know, 20 years ago, I'd go out for a six hour ride and go, Oh, I can eat two bags of Swedish fish. This is great. It was kind of a reward right. as you were saying, <laughs> I'm more and more going, yes, I could reward myself, but I feel better. I recover better if I'm a little more careful about my nutrition on that ride. One of the things that comes to mind, Rebecca, when you are describing all of these changes is the fact that you've, whether through um, fortune, good fortune or otherwise, good hard work, you've been able to surround yourself with amazing people, um, befriend or have great coaches, befriend other great athletes, seek out other experts in their field to help you. And I, I got to think that that is something you've done more and more over the years as you've um, progressed through your career. And that's got to be extremely important. It's huge. And, you know, like I said, we're all a work in progress. We're all evolving and nobody ever figures that out figures it out. And, and there's always new, new ways, new technology. And I feel really fortunate that, you know, really through, through mostly through Red Bull, you know, that I've had, they've been a 20 year partner of mine and I've had access to world-class athletes who are, you know, racing cars or jumping out of airplanes or skiing or swimming. So I've been able to kind of rub shoulders with some really high achieving athletes, but also some really high achieving, you know, neurologists, scientists, you know, my coaches both have come and worked through Red Bull. And so I've been able to have access to a lot of tools that have really just helped me educate myself. And I'm really lucky to have access to that. But honestly, so, so does everybody else through the internet, through social media, through asking questions of, you know, athletes that you admire, um, through programs like the one I'm doing with my coach, um, Tim, the base camp program, there's so much more access to knowledge now than, you know, when I started running in high school, it's like you did what your coach said and you, you sort of hoped that that was the right approach. And now, I mean, with, in the digital world, we have so much access to knowledge. And I would say that's the big difference as you're seeing performance for people is athletes are just smarter and they've learned more about their own bodies, um, you know, and taken even from DNA testing to blood work to see, you know, inside, what have you made of and what kind of food can you eat that will be the best for you? Or, you know, what kind of training does your body adapt to the best? 
what are your pros and cons that you have, you know, the things that you need to work on or the things that you're naturally gifted with. And so the knowledge that is available to people is really amazing. But yeah, I've been lucky to, to chat with a bunch of athletes and, and bring people in, but you know, I really want to share all that too. I feel like, like I said, with, you know, my legacy is hopefully to pass on 40 years of being a professional athlete, um, to, to everybody else, no matter what age you are. And I'll say for the people listening to this, if you're older or younger than me or whatever, I'll tell you, I started mountain bike racing at age 38, you know, have world championship titles in that, you know, tons, you know, mountain bike hall of fame. And I didn't start till 38, um, doing that sport. And so it's never too late to, um, be a better version of yourself and to take on a new sport. If you're thinking about it. Are you encouraging all of us to go try? I did a rod now. Um, well, <laughs> it's taken me, I, I did rod. I will tell you, I'm doing this winter bike expedition and I swore, I, you know, when we talk about, you know, genetic gifts or, or not genetic gifts, um, I've never been good in the cold. I've always hated the cold. I've always been terrified of winter expeditions and I've shied away from them. If you look at my resume, you know, I, I didn't ice climb. I didn't go mountaineering cause, cause I, my body is just not built for it. But you live um, in Idaho. I live in Idaho. It's a cold place. I do have a house that I live in. That's <laughs> true. You know? true. Um, but a few years ago, I realized I, I needed a really big challenge for myself as an athlete. You know, at age 49, I went, I, you know, I signed up for the scariest thing I could ever think of, which was the Iditarod Trail Invitational. And it's a self-supported bikepacking expedition in the middle of Alaska in the winter. And it scared me enough um, that I sort of, I kind of needed that challenge. I needed to, the commitment, you know, I've done a bunch of hard stuff, but I realized I hadn't been truly committed in a number of years and, and that was missing. And I think as we talk about evolving as an athlete, I think it's so important to listen to that little voice in your head. That's like, Hmm, I wonder what, you know, fill in the blank. And when people ask me, you know, you were a rock climber, a paddler, venture racer, then you did 24 hour racing, then you did Leadville's, then you, now you're doing bikepacking expeditions, you know, and people ask me about the evolution of that. And it's really listening to that little small voice in my head that just says, I wonder the curiosity of like, I wonder what is over there. And that's what I did rot is about. I wondered if I could do it, if I could survive, um, and I've proven to myself that yes, I can survive it. Yes, I can do well at it. And now I'm going on my third year of, of doing that race. I finished twice and, you know, I'm now comfortable spending time, uh, self-supported out in the Alaskan wilderness and, and knowing that I can take care of myself. And really what's cool about that is I know if I can survive that I can survive, you know, 2020, I can survive the challenges <laughs> yeah. that are presented to me. I really feel like on the trail is where I learn how to be resilient, how to handle fear, how to handle, you know, things that go wrong, how to get up off your bike, get up off the ground after you've fallen over. And so it, maybe it sounds a little cliche, but you know, I, I thought I was training for races all my life. And now I realize after I did a ride last year, I came back and realized the races have been training me. And so that's why I, you know, I, f I find out who I am out there. I learn out there. And so, yeah, I'm going back again in just a few weeks, um, to spend more time in the snow. Hmm. <laughs> I, and I, you know, the, the lesson here is it doesn't, it doesn't take a world-class athlete to take on new challenges. Anybody can do this. 
at any Absolutely. at any time in life. Um, and if you want to keep it to cycling, maybe it's uh, get a a just you don't have to buy gear, but it, try something different. Take on a new challenge. Make maybe make yourself a little uncomfortable. Do something you're not so good at. Break out of that, and and that can help you develop. So I have a question about this, but first I have to say I take just slight offense to this because <laughs> I'm from Canada, cold, <laughs> snowy, uninhabitable places. That's our thing. Yeah. We got the Northwest Territories. We got the Yukon, yeah. Ellesmere Island. Nunavut. Yeah. And, and you put the race in Alaska. <laughs> well, you, you Canadians, if they were creative, they would have come up with something to rival. I did a rod, but I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, there's a very cool history of that race of of the, you know, historic dog sled race and the historic trail of, you know, delivering the life-saving serum, uh, you know, up to the town of Nome. If anyone hasn't looked up the history of the Iditarod Trail, it's actually pretty fascinating. And that was part of the reason that drew me to that winter. There's lots of winter bike expeditions, but I was really drawn to that one um kind of because of the sort of, you know, the story the of folklore it, folklore yeah, and the yeah. story, and and you know the history of it, and I really like being able to take my bike on places, you know, like the Ho Chi Minh Trail that that I rode, of like riding through history and learning about a place by being there on my bike. So no offense to Canada, Canada's amazing, and I've, <laughs> I've been up on the Yukon. That's a really cool area, um, but yeah, that's why I'm going to the Iditarod is because of the history of it. Do you think? One of the secrets to longevity is this trying new challenge, changing it up. And I'll just say, you know, me personally, I love stage racing, but I've been doing stage racing so long. I do find it can be hard to stay motivated, especially knowing that I, I just can't race as well as I used to race 10, 15, 20 years ago. Do you, do you find that that changing up, taking on the new challenge is very motivating and, and, and keeps you going? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, think about all the things you've done in your life. If you did the same job your whole life, it'd probably get kind of boring. You know, or if you ran the same trail over and over again, you're like, eh, I want to run a new trail. And so that's just normal human nature to have a curiosity. And I do think it's really important to listen to that. And my coach, Tim, has said, you know, one of the things that wanes with age um, can be motivation, but I think the, the remedy to that is, um, variety and changing things up and, you know, whether it's getting a gravel bike, I know a lot of people right now are sort of, they've been roadies their whole life and they're finding gravel and off-road riding for the first time. And suddenly they're really excited about riding their bike again. Um, so absolutely change is essential for motivation. And you may always go back to, you know, your tried and true trails or the things that, you know, our comfort food, so to speak. Um, but, but yeah, for me, change is absolutely super motivating and, and essential part of longevity. And there's so much to choose from out there. And I think we're seeing what's a really exciting evolution right now, you know, with lockdown and COVID is, is people are exploring their backyards in different ways. You know, they're, they're going to different places. They're finding all these cool trails and, um, and they're mixing it up a little bit. There's a lot of new cyclists. There's a lot of new runners who are, are finding the outdoors for, for maybe the first time. So if anyone in here listening to this is struggling with motivation, you know, two things, variety and, um, and a community to motivate you. Those are really, 
really kind of the essential items for me. So Rebecca, I know, let's shift gears. I know your coach, Tim Husick, sent sent over to us a little bit of an overview of some of the changes that you have or have not seen as you've aged, the quick thoughts on on menopause. So this brings it right down to um, to you specifically. Tell us a little bit about what he's found in you. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. And a lot of people, you know, menopause is a dirty word or, or people just, it's not a, something that people talk about, but what we're seeing is athletes are, you know, as Trevor said, we're competing and, and hopefully training well into our seventies and beyond. And so, yeah, you know, we used to think, 50 something was like this ancient athlete, but you're seeing really high performing athletes, men and women, um, well beyond that age. And so I was really interested in the changing changes that were happening in my body and asked my coach, Tim Cusick to kind of like put together some thoughts on pre and post menopausal training. And it was pretty cool. It's, it's a pretty brief, um, little study, but, um, for everyone, there's going to be changes in your hormonal changes, male and female as you age. And so for women, it's a decrease in estrogen, decrease in DHEA. Um, and then, you know, there's other things that aerobic capacity can decline faster. Um, bone density can decline, lean muscle mass can decline and flexibility can decline. And I have noticed, you know, for me, um, flexibility for sure. And, but the good news is it's easy to work on it. Um, and so, you know, once I pay a little bit of attention to it, I don't feel any difference. And the same with lean muscle mass, we have put more strength into my workouts, you know, even doing workouts right now for Iditarod where, because the bikes are quite heavy and loaded down, you're pushing them through the snow. So you need a lot of, um, upper body strength as well. And so I'm doing workouts now where I'm on, on the bike trainer, I'll get off in the middle of the workout, do a bunch of pushups and pull-ups and get right back on the bike again and kind of, um, do sort of like strength intervals in, in the middle of my bike rides. Um, and that's been, that's been kind of a fun way to mix it up. Other things that happen post-menopausal, um, are disrupted sleep, which I absolutely have noticed and how, and I used to like be a world champion sleeper. Um, and, and I'm still a pretty good sleeper, but I notice I wake up a lot more. And so how I've adjusted to that is wearing an eye mask. You know, I use my Garmin watch for actually tracking my sleep, um, make sure I'm on a pretty regular get to bed at about the same time. And again, it's all stuff that we know, but you don't pay attention to it. So I have prioritized my sleep and that's, you know, if anybody's looking for the magic pill of performance, um, sleep and recovery, that's it. That's the one. Um, and he also, you know, coach Tim says that motivation can wane, which we already talked about and, but his, his sort of like tips for it are, you know, the better your fitness leading into, you know, a a change in life or menopausal change or hormonal change, the better off you are post, um, because you're just ready for it and nutritional management has become more important. And we already talked about how, um, I've started making some of my own food, been a little bit more disciplined about the supplements that I take about my hydration. Um, and, you know, adding strength and flexibility, those, those aren't a big deal. He did do what was really cool. Um, and I've had some, the fun part about tracking training and your power and, you know, 
having training peaks and having all your stuff logged is you, is you can go look back a number of years and see, see where you were, what was the snapshot of it all. And I love the technology in that way. Um, it's pretty fun. And, and Tim did a, he did kind of a little graph of, um, pre and post menopausal for me, which he, he compared one minute power, two years pre and two years post. Um, and it was essentially the same. And then anaerobic power actually went up. Um, and so that was kind of interesting, an interesting stat, stat and aerobic steady state stayed the same. And so his findings were basically that, you know, I'm as strong, if not stronger post-menopause than pre. And so that's, you know, that's really exciting for me. And the, the reason I share this stuff is that, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, you hear, oh, age, you know, age is a dirty word. And, and, but it's the one thing that none of us will escape. And so the exciting thing, and the reason I tell people I'm on version 5.2 is not for anyone to be impressed with what I do, but to show people that high performance at any age is right at your fingertips. If you just put a little more attention into your nutrition, your stretching, you know, some of the, like I said, um, the spaces in between, not just specifically the bike workout or your running workout, but everything else that you're doing in your lifestyle changes. Um, and you're going to be better on the bike or the same on the bike. Um, and you're just going to feel better as, as a human being moving through the world and performing in your family life, your work life, and the whole rest of the time. Hey, thank you for sharing that. And I'm really glad you, you've pointed this out and, and we're so willing to share that because I'm thinking back to my college days, back in my graduate program, and that was really where you saw a very bleak picture painted of once you hit menopause, you're going to lose bone mineral density, you're, you're, you're going to lose muscle mass. Uh, it, it was really not a, a pretty picture that they painted in school, but I, I have really wondered if that is a particular case where it's more sedentary lifestyle than an inevitability. And I think you're proven that. I think it must be. I mean, I'm living proof, hopefully, of that. Anyway, I think it's great. Yeah, it's, nobody has to be scared. They just have to stretch some more. <laughs> <You> know, <it's, laughs> easy, easy. It's not that big of a deal. And and get a a, a mask to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Sleep simple. mask. <laughs> we asked show regular and host of Cycling and Alignment, Colby Pierce, his thoughts about aging. The most common advice I will give my athletes when we have conversations around aging and the aging athlete and the challenges they may be experiencing are, I, I really try to reframe things. And this comes down to self-talk for, for me with a lot of athletes. I think colloquially, there are a lot of expressions that get tossed around that are very, it's really easy for us to parrot each other, we being humans. And one of the things you hear all the time is, man, getting old sucks. And that expression really drives me nuts. You might as well stick me in the ribs with a fork because I don't think that's accurate. I mean, for me, I don't see, this is Disney thinking. This is, this is baby talk. This is grade school thinking. Getting old is bad. Being young is good. Come on, let's think a little deeper. Be more discerning people. Like get rid of the grade school talk. What everything is pros and cons. There are benefits to everything. Yeah. When you're young, you've got great skin and 
and you can stay up all night and party and then get up the next day and seemingly be fine. And you can eat crappy food and your digestion doesn't really seem to have a consequence. It does. It's just that you haven't registered that consequence yet. And your body's younger and more robust, so it can handle more load. But then there's also this downside to that where people extrapolate that paradigm to the nth degree. And they assume that every workout they do now takes them longer to recover from. And there probably is some truth to that, but there's also truth in language and words and our own focus. I mean, remember what Yoda taught us, you know, that which you focus on is your reality. So if you're telling yourself every single day, man, I'm old, getting old sucks. Every time I do intervals that I used to do all the time, I'm throttled for five days instead of two. And you just repeat that cycle over and over again in your brain. I mean, science has shown us pretty clearly. You keep telling someone something long enough and repeat it often enough, they'll believe it. So here's 101. Stop the mental chatter in your head. Take out the trash. Do a little introspection about your own thought processes and have some awareness of that. And so I try to encourage my clients to think about their own thought habits and give themselves a little bit of a break or maybe stop recycling or parroting some of the stuff that their coffee shop buddies have been saying for years. Because I don't necessarily believe that as we get older, our cycling performance has to take a huge nosedive. And I'll mention also there's a relationship between the global holistic care you take of yourself and the consciousness you have of those things and how much of an impact your hard training will have on your recovery. So what I'm saying is get smarter about how to recover. Understand more about how intelligent hydration strategies can really benefit you and help you bounce back from a workout more quick, more quickly and more effectively. Understand how smarter fueling has a positive impact on your desire to go ride your mountain bike hard for three hours every Saturday or whatever, right? I mean, back in the day when we ate Taco Bell and Pizza Hut or Pizza Bagels, yeah, that kind of worked, but it also gave us a bunch of inflammation. Now we can be smarter about our nutrition choices. Now we're smart enough to know that certain foods don't agree with us. And so that's the, the pros and cons of aging. Well, the pros are, I am so much wiser than I was when I was 17. I know so much more about my own body. I've learned so much from other people about how to recover from these modalities and also when to be smart about applying load and not just blindly bludgeoning myself over and over again because my buddies are going riding hard for 80 miles and I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. I'm smart enough to say, hmm, it's cold today. I slept like crap last night. I just had two constructive days of training and I'm pretty tired. So I know that that ride's not going to serve me. So I'll, I'll, maybe I'll make a compromise. I'll meet you guys at the coffee shop. I'll, I will skip the croissant and the bacon and I will ride out of town with you. And then after 45 minutes, I'll say adieu and go home and enjoy my Saturday afternoon. And that's the wisdom of age helps us discern when training serves us and when it doesn't. And so we use the wisdom of age to help us make those decisions, but we also have the patience and self-discipline to apply training in the right loads at the right moments. And all of these are benefits of being an aged athlete. Not to mention you get to teach all the young whippersnappers a few of the lessons you learned. And when you do that, you should always start every lesson with back when I was your age. And then in there, you have to insert a sentence about uphill both ways and no shoes and snow, then you're getting it done right. I heard you mention in there being on the trainer, are, do you use Zwift 
Do you use some of these online training tools, virtual training tools? Um, and is that a result of where you live or the fact that maybe you used to, and maybe this is silly, but you used to take risks and ride in the snow more. And now you're just like, oh, I want to get my session in and I'll do it on Zwift. I do use Zwift. Um, and I, I, you know, I attribute, it's really the last couple years that I have embraced training indoors because um, for anyone who's known me, you're right. Like training indoors used to be this sort of like torture session that someone would have to strap <laughs> me to the bike and yes. it was awful. And Tell I hated it. it so much. Yeah. Um, and really that has changed for me with, with a couple of things. One with, um, the sort of getting a smart trainer. Um, I use the tax Neo and that's pretty awesome. And so, and, and using a, a app like Zwift has really changed indoor training for me. And so my, my training is loaded, you know, I'm actually meeting people online. I, I mentioned the base camp program already. I'm riding with people Tuesday and Thursday morning. So, so there's a lot of factors in there. One, it's more motivating because there's a group setting, um, two, the technology is better. So my trainer is actually loading my workouts and, you know, if I've got to do intervals, you know, there's no cheating on that trainer. It, it actually, you know, the erg mode actually controls the power and, and you've got to do it. And the third thing is, you know, one thing we haven't touched on as, you know, anyone who has, you know, isn't 20 years old living out of their car, like I was, and just rock climbing all around, we all have job commitments and life commitments, um, and are, you know, a lot more commitments during our day. And so just being able to knock out an hour quickly in the morning, um, with an indoor trainer is actually very efficient for me with, with the other demands on owning businesses and stuff. But that said, you know, I do also really make a point of, you know, there's two days a week indoors and the rest of the days of the week are outdoors for me, because for me, um, there is definitely a, um, sort of emotional motivation to being outside, seeing the snow, you know, you know, seeing the trees and mountains. So, so I mix it up and use both and both tools are totally amazing. And I never would have thought I'd be looking forward to my Tuesday and Thursday morning workouts on Zwift and on my trainer, but I really do because they're efficient and I'm meeting people there. And so I save basically my really specific, um, interval workouts I'll do indoors in the winter, um, for, for all those reasons that I just mentioned, but, uh, yeah. Are you, are you getting onto Zwift? Maybe we can meet for a ride. Yeah, well, it's I was I was very much like you and I'm I'm not going to say I'm doing it consistently, but I've probably been on it 5 times in 2021. For a year we could not get Chris on Zwift. He like this it was Satan. He wouldn't touch it. <laughs> Well, here's the deal. Let's let's do it. So every Tuesday, Thursday, I host a ride that's presented by Live, and it's a progressive training ride. It's been a 16-week program. We've got six weeks left, and they're very progressive, specific intervals. So if you you if you want to join me the next six weeks on Tuesday and Thursday mornings at eight o'clock Mountain Time, all right. Um, there you, you go. That Anyone great. can. Anyone who's listening to this, I'd yeah. love to have you join yeah. me for some cool. intervals. I want to see this. I want to see Chris come and join you. I, he is I, now volunteering <laughs> for rides. Well, you know, there was a ride on our schedule that was called Batman Intervals. I couldn't pass that one up. 
There was uh-huh. the, there was another one that was basically it was uh, going to turn into a race between Trevor and I, and we have this you know friendly rivalry, so I had to do that one. But we did have the race. Yeah, I didn't sleep that night because I was so destroyed from it. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I'm not sure that, friendly rivalry is quite the right speaks, word for okay, this. Okay, <laughs> un- aggressive rivalry, we'll call it. We sat in the same room together, and for 45 minutes, neither one of us said a word. We couldn't talk. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, you know, that's this the Tuesday, best. This Tuesday, Thursday, everyone stays together. It is a specific Good. workout, but it's it's set so, yeah. you know. You've got the, you the snap anybody. together, right? Yep, yeah. Yep. No, I I will uh I will consider it, Rebecca. But it, you know, I'm like you. I love the outdoors and um if I can, I'll do it outside. There's a there's really a beauty in both. Yeah, and if if you have the choice and and come summer, I don't spend as much time in I I won't spend any time indoors probably. Um, but yeah, for the winter, it's, it's actually been really, it's been a really awesome tool. And I think for people, you know, during lockdown, it's been an amazing way for people to connect on the bike as, you know, with their own community and and with other riders. Have you, um, I, this is changing the subject. Uh, have you had to modify, have you strategically modified the types of races you focus on given any of these changes that we've talked about? Aside from the motivational aspect of just trying something new, is it is it something that um, goes along with your physiology now? You know, that's a super good question. And I have, you know, since Blood Road, you know, my ride on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and um, really doing that sort of big bike expedition. Um, since then, that was a real eye opener to me that I missed expeditions. You know, I missed the adventure racing. I missed the multi-day planning with a map and compass, you know, really going on an adventure and blood road really opened my eyes to that. I'd been lacking that. And so since then I've been gradually trending more towards, um, bike packing and expedition type rides and ultra endurance rides, you know, even longer than what I had been doing. And really, I think because my heart and soul wanted to do it. Um, but you're probably right. It does fall in line with, um, with sort of where my motivation is and, you know, training for Leadville and, you know, a hundred mile race for me is really short. And those years of like the hyper-focused training, um, for Leadville were really cool, but I actually feel like that was a stepping stone to, to get to where I am now. And, and the type of riding I'm doing now, I actually feel like it is a culmination of all the skills I've been developing for so many decades of, of yeah, navigation, sleep deprivation, um, the planning for an expedition going overnight and, and then the super hyper-focused bike training now has taken me into these bike expeditions. And, and so I, I think it's a lot, all those things combined. Um, and like I said earlier is really listening to what was exciting me and what was exciting me was wanting to do bikepacking and bike expeditions. And so I have to listen to that. And the good news is, is that that's what my body's really good at is going long. Um, and I have the experience and, and the know-how for it. So it really is capitalizing on what I want to do and what I'm good at right now. What are some other things that help, you know, this is a strange time that we're dealing with now. Uh, people are more isolated than they'd like to be more isolated than they're used to. How have you been helping people get involved in sport or stay involved in sport so that they don't lose some of that stuff that they they have as they get older? 
Yeah. I th- thanks for asking that. And I mean, I was suffering from the same thing of like, I need a challenge. I need something to do. And, and really spring of, of 2020, after coming back from my Diderot, I was really unmotivated and not training consistently. And, and my coach, Tim asked me, he's like, what's it going to take for you to get off the couch basically. And I was like, I need a big, scary goal. And I started thinking about what that could be. And, and really I designed, um, a new challenge. It was at something called the giddy up challenge that we did last year. And it was an Everesting challenge. And so I set myself out to do, you know, an Everest on my bike. I'd never done it on a gravel bike, but set up a program where anyone anywhere could run or bike an Everest or a half Everest or a quarter Everest. Um, and we ended up raising $130,000 for COVID relief with that giddy up challenge last year. And so it really kind of showed me that one people want to feel connected, they want motivation and they want to ride with purpose. And so I, I brought back the giddy up challenge this year. That'll, that registration will open on the 15th, um, for anyone everywhere. Um, and also private Idaho, which has been my signature event, um, for going on nine years now, 2020, we had a remote Rebecca's private Idaho. So people design a course at home. Um, and again, it's fundraising for the be good foundation. And so this year we'll have a base camp RPI, a training program. We'll have a remote RPI, and then hopefully we'll have RPI in person. And really the, the importance of all of these challenges for people is not the actual challenge of like, did you climb an Everest or did you put out a billion Watts or how Hmm. fast did you go? It's the fact what we've all been talking about is a challenge in front of you. That's kind of big and scary and hairy and audacious. What that does is that allows you to have that daily lifestyle choices of getting on the bike, doing some training. You feel like you've got something coming up and there's this amazing spiral effect of you're going to sleep more better. You're going to drink your water. You're going to do your training because you've got something you're working towards. So for anyone who can or can't travel, you know, and we talked about it before people ask, when are you going to retire? When are you going to stop doing races? And the answer is never because not that I really care about the race itself, it's that I care, I need the motivation and want the motivation to have those daily lifestyle changes to be the best version of myself that I can. So if anyone wants to join me, Giddy Up Challenger, RPI, um, and I really have my goal is that with those programs, I'm opening up my network of Red Bull high performance people, scientists. My coach is actually designs the training programs. The goal is to open up that world that's typically available to a pro athlete to anyone. And so, you know, that is really what I want to do is bring people into my world and ride together with everybody. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I attempted your giddy up challenge last year and awesome. uh, went out to do it on, on Flagstaff, a climb here in, in Boulder, yeah. got to cool. the top and then it started this mix of ice and rain coming down, <laughs> tried to do oh, the descent, almost slid out and went, okay, this isn't going to work. This, today's yeah. not the day. Went went and, and finished it on Zwift, but because it was two different climbs and, and one was virtual, one was real, oh. it, it never registered. Yeah, but good for you. That's awesome that you actually went and finished it. I love that story. Well, thank you. I, I had well, to. Well, hopefully this year you'll get to, get to do it. Um, you'll get to do it on Flagstaff. Yeah, no, it'd be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. I, I thought it was a great challenge you put together and you, you really promoted it well. You made it a lot of fun. Thanks. So I've got one question that I have to ask or something I have to, to point out here. This has nothing to do with today's topic, but I am looking at the data that Tim sent us 
and really just want to point out something that, that that struck me, which is, you know, first I'm looking at your your annual training volume, and I'm, I won't share the numbers here, but it is quite impressive. You you are training quite well, but then I look over and I love seeing this. I look at your CTL, and I think a lot of our listeners would and. Granted, it's February 2nd, but I think a lot of our listeners would be surprised by how low it is, and I love that (laughs) because I see so many athletes who think fitness is about seeing how high a CTL you can get, and here you are coached by one of the guys who invented CTL, and he's (laughs) training you right and saying, no, we don't want to have you at a crazy CTL right now. Uh, you know, and that is a point that so many, like, I love technology and measuring all of this, but it's something that, that can be um, a detriment to some athletes who are just obsessed on the number and, you know, won't actually take rest days or take a break or, you know, let yourself slide a little to come back up again. And it's, it's a very hard concept when you're looking at those numbers. And, and I do it too. I'm like, I want to be this CTL by the time I get to Alaska. Um, and I try not to obsess with it, but really the number I focus on more is if he's put the, the, you know, the amount of work I'm supposed to do that week, the TSS, you know, I trust him and I trust the science. And so I do the work he says, and I trust him enough to know that he's a lot smarter than I am. And I, I think that's important to tell people, and especially riding on Zwip, of course, you talked about it, you know, people can see your power. And mine is not that impressive. It's not that great. Like it's okay, you know, but there's lots of people in base camp who have higher power than me. And that's where we talk, what we've talked about is you are, you perform as, as a whole unit and your brain, the Watts you put out, the nutrition you've had, how good of a night of sleep you have, the experience that you have, your um, mental, you know, fortitude, your maturity, all of those things go into your performance far more than an, a wattage number or a CTL number on your training peaks. Well, Rebecca, we like to close out every episode with uh, giving our guests, giving ourselves and our guests one minute to sort of recap the the core message. And we'll start with you today. What would you say is the biggest take home from the episode today? Consistency and the spaces in between and science is amazing, but it's not, it's not everything. Um, and, and I'd really say to, you know, feed your, your mind and your spirit as much as your train, your mind and your spirit, as much as you're training your body. Um, and ultimately that will lead to really great performance and that, you know, whatever version you're on in your life, um, you always have the opportunity to make choices today and tomorrow and the next day to be the best version of whatever version you're on. Trevor, what would you add? You know, I'm going to start with, and maybe this is, is wishful thinking, but I love what all the science shows. Aging is not what we thought it was. And we can all age very gracefully and, and, and very well. Uh, I think there were, there were two things in the conversation that really stood out to me. One was to age gracefully and to stay competitive and strong for a very long time is consistency. You you can maintain strength and fitness very well, but if you take a couple of years off, if you take a long time off, 
that's where you really start to see the declines that they think of with aging. And some of that you can't reverse. So you don't always have to ride a bike, but do something. And that brings us to the second point, which you really got me thinking about. And Rebecca, I thought it was a a really great point of find new challenges, find other things to do. Uh, you, You might love a particular bike race right now, but if you do it 30 years in a row, it might get a little tiring after a while. You need some, you need a new challenge. Yeah, Trevor, you need to do Leadville. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I actually really do. Or Unbound, or something, long, you know, you're built for long distance, too. And I, 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 I think you would these I short could, events. I think you could do really well at some of these um, very, very fun events that are not on the road. Yep, oh, I agree. So, Chris, what's your one minute? Well, I don't know anything about aging because I'm so young. You're evolving. You're still evolving. I'm I'm still evolving. What I what I like most out of this episode, and it doesn't matter how old you are, is is that notion of listening to your body and and don't ignore even the whispers that there's a re- your body is your body. This sounds silly, maybe, but your body is kind of smart and it's giving you those signals that you should not ignore whether they're whispers, whether they're spoken to you, whether they're yelled, well, certainly if they're yelled at you, then uh, you, you should be paying attention. <laughs> um, and that that is going to take you, that is going to do a lot for you um, and help you understand what your body is in need of. Hopefully it doesn't get to that uh, level of craving because that I think is when you've waited too long. But I think that notion of listening is is a great one. Well, Rebecca, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for your wisdom today. Thank you for joining us on Fast Talk. I look forward to riding with you all uh, digitally or in person really soon. Yeah, can't wait. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Rebecca Rush, Dr. Andy Pruitt, Colby Pierce, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.